your podcast app. You see, there's a discourse happening. Is this a book or a masterpiece or problematic? One's a lifelong diehard fan, the other's a first time reader. Both are really smart and funny and attractive. Sweet feathers, sweet feathers. Pardo, hello. Hi and hello. I'm sorry, being annoying. I'm not connected. Oh, can you hear me or not hear me? I can, but just give me one second. Oh, it's give me one reason to stay here and I'll turn it back around. Bonjour. Hi. How are you? I'm okay. Uh, how are you? Fine. How'd you feel about this week's book? <laughs> Deceptions. Sweet Valley High number 14. I mean, how did you feel? I could tell you how I feel, but would you believe me? Or would you believe it was all just another deception? Give me a one sentence. How did you feel? In one sentence? Yeah, like give me your overall. And then so like six do... words, I guess, would be this book rips off Mrs. Doubtfire. <laughs> would be kind of my six word summary. If you've seen Mrs. Doubtfire, you've read this book. I have not seen Mrs. Doubtfire in a long time. And the only thing I remember about it is Robin Williams, dress up old lady to get into House of X and be a creep. No, 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 not be a creep. Be a a good dad. Um, that's not creepy. It is definitely creepy, but he's not doing to be a creep. Oh, now creep's intentions are what we focus on? No, Robert, I'm actually being serious. You think that was okay what he did? That's actually insane. That's actually like... It's like I a did. violation of privacy. It's I it's did. akin to assault. It, it's emotional I, assault. Anyhow, oh. how does this have to do? I, I don't remember anyone dressed up. It, <laughs> what, what are you talking about? There was a divorce the, or something. What the climax? The climactic scene of Mrs. Doubtfire is Robin Williams is at a very very fancy restaurant, and his family is there, so he has to be dressed as Mrs. Doubtfire, and the like tv show producer or somebody is there and so he's having two meals at the same time and he has to run back and forth frantically like on on broad city or on 27 dresses sure and 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 any one of these movies that that i guess actually ripped off deceptions because deceptions came first wait so did this so deceptions came before mrs doubtfire right yeah so i guess i should amend my six word summary Wow. Mrs. Doubtfire ripped this book off. Still such word. So yeah, what so it's because there was a fancy restaurant back and forth? The just like we'll get into it, but the whole fancy restaurant scene is just Mrs. You're referring to the pretending to being of two people at a restaurant? Absolutely. Is that such a common experience for you that you're like, who even cares? I, I look forward to talking about it when we get there, but my instinct is like if I said that, you'd be like, wow. You're seeing two things are the same that are so different. And the only thing they have in common is being in a fancy restaurant and one person pretending to be two people. But it was such a different way that they were pretending to be two people. In one, dressing up like a random lady is actually husband. And other is one twin being another. So different. Like, that's what you would say to me. And I'd be like, that's not, like, I'm not saying it's, I, 
exactly the same, but like there's certainly overlaps when you agree. And you then you'd be like, okay, I guess there's overlaps. Wait, really sorry. reaching. So you're having an argument with yourself on behalf of me as if you had said the thing I said, which you didn't. And then as if you disagree, as if I disagreed with the thing you said, which neither of us does. Is that what's happening here? Oh no, but wait. Okay, <laughs> what, what what else did you have to feel about it? <laughs> um, I don't, I mean... I mean, the bit's all about the beef tornadoes and I don't care how you say that word, we're going to be spending it. And I'm, I can only think of it as beef tornadoes. And we are going to be spending a while on that later. Yeah, we should just jump in because I think we're going to spend so much time on that one meal, the Mrs. Doubtfire of it all, the beef tornadoes of it all. You want the cliffhanger? You know I want that cliffy. All right. We ended last book with, what, Liz being kidnapped and then saved? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So last book, Liz was kidnapped. Or whatever. Canonically, Liz was kidnapped by the creepy orderly Carl. Then she got saved. Unfortunately... During her kidnapping was when the Morrows had their sort of big debut party. So she missed that. But luckily, she has decided to celebrate her return from abduction by hosting a party. And someone has arrived at the door. And that someone is Nicholas Morrow, whose arrival has been highly anticipated by Jessica, other people probably in the room, and Robert. (laughs) Definitely Robert. As Jessica was busy playing hostess, the doorbell rang again. This time, Elizabeth answered it. Her face was aglow with happiness as she opened the door. On the opposite side of the threshold stood someone she didn't know, a boy, with the kind of handsomely chiseled features that looked as if they belonged on a magazine cover. Jessica? He asked, confusion apparent in his voice. Oh no, I'm Elizabeth, but don't feel bad. People mix us up all the time. And you're? Nicholas. Nicholas Morrow. He stated his name slowly, almost automatically, as he found himself concentrating all his attention on the girl standing before him. Well, come on in, Nicholas. I'm glad to finally meet you. No, the pleasure is mine, Nicholas said, still staring at Elizabeth, and let me apologize for confusing you with your sister. I'll never make that mistake again. I'll go tell Jessica you're here. No, that's okay. No hurry. I want a chance to tell you how glad I am that you're home. I was worried about you. But you don't even know me. That's not exactly true. Jessica has told me a lot about you. She made you sound like someone worth knowing. And I can see now that she's right. There was no way Elizabeth could mistake the look she saw in his eyes. A look that said, you're the one that I want. It made her feel awkward and uncomfortable. She had a strong suspicion that Nicholas hadn't reacted this way with Jessica, and she dreaded what would happen when Jessica found out. Will Elizabeth leave Todd for Nicholas? Find out in Sweet Valley High number 14, Deceptions. You know what I was thinking when you just read that? Yeah. Is these books love someone showing up at a door. Like, Mm -hmm. it's a, I feel like there are maybe also other books later that like have big moments of like someone showing up at a door. I feel like there was a big moment of George at Enid's door. It's a lot of like people love to come to a door and like that be, and they make strong eye contact and like suddenly something's different. This book loves the drama of a door, the portal, the liminal space. Do you want to summarize that plot? Let's summarize that plot. Elizabeth meets Nicholas Morrow finally, and he displays this intensity of affection and emotion towards her that is completely insane. He tells her he's in love with her in like five seconds and pressures her incessantly to go on a date with him, which she finally does. Meanwhile, not telling Todd about this and not telling Jessica, who's also in love with him. 
while they're out to dinner, Todd happens to be at the same restaurant, even though it's over an hour away in Malvina, and comes upon Elizabeth and Nicholas. Elizabeth immediately pretends to be Jessica. Rude. Rude. Uh, And the lie is basically immediately found out, uh, but everything works out and they end up still together. And meanwhile, Jessica enters the world of hackers and learns to become a sort of computer whiz and and executes certain schemes based on what? That this is my favorite part of the book. Keep going. Oh, it's incredible. <laughs> Basically, like Jessica. Okay, so the like B plot is Jessica's math grade is down, and there's this computer was smart guy called Randy, and Jessica's like flirting with him to will help her, and then he starts like talking about computers, and she like reads in the Sweet Valley News that there's these kids called hackers, and she like sweet talks Randy into hacking in to the fucking Sweet Valley High Network and changing her math grade, and she does it in the most brilliant, amazing, and hilarious way, and there's a lot of fun scenes of like, she runs a computer program, and he's like in love with her because she's so good at it, and she pretends to be so dumb, and it's really, really incredible, and in the end, they come forward and apologize, and that's it. Yeah, I think that's enough of a pot summary for now, right? There's some mm-hmm. basketball listeners, so get excited for some sports writing. I had like one note on that, which was like Todd bad basketball then gets good or whatever. Yeah. It's like the plot of every single book is like there's a big basketball game against Big Mesa or Palisades or someone, and like in the first fucking quarter, Todd is like bad, and everyone can tell he's stressed out about Elizabeth, and then he like in the halftime, like Nick comes talk to him or he like smiles at Liz in the stands and they wave and or she gives him a kiss and then second half he wins everything good. It's literally every book. We remarked last time that the cliffhanger was very jarring because it's like basically Nicholas shows up and then the cliffhanger is like, is Elizabeth going to dump Todd for him? And we're like, whoa, that was a leap. Yeah. Go off like impressions, expectations, how it was, like what you felt, what you. Yeah, I mean, this I was expecting some deceptions. I got some deceptions. I didn't get nearly as many or successful deceptions as I would like. The actual deceptions are very, very brief and almost immediately uncovered, um, which must, of course, lead at least some readers to be like, are there underlying deceptions that are the real insidious deceptions? And I think there probably are a couple of like kind of more subtle, more insidious deceptions beyond the obvious deception of Elizabeth going on a date with Nicholas Morrow and not telling anyone. Yeah. Did you remember, is this one that you remembered, like, Bear, coming like, back um, to it, or no? I vaguely remembered it. I didn't, I think as a kid, or like in my initial readings of it, or like as a kid, I found it not satisfying or frustrating. So I don't have any strong attachment towards it. Do you anything. have a sense of why it was unsatisfying or frustrating to you? Well, I think probably for different reasons than it is now. I think at the time, maybe at the time I was like excited that Liz was doing this thing and I was like, I want them to actually hook up and then mm. it was frust- and then it was frustrating when it's like they didn't even kiss or something or do they yeah. they don't no, they don't even kiss and so it's like oh so then she just goes back to Todd I'm like okay yeah I think as a kid I really liked Liz and Nicholas now I think Nicholas is in my notes I just call him hot Carl because oh, yeah. he's hot Carl he's hot Carl he's hot Carl hot, he's hot rich Carl yeah. um oh is he rich so- they don't even talk about it so he's, but, but as a kid, I, as we may have discussed, I, as a kid, I really identified with Liz and I always like rooted for her and she was like the one and Nicholas as a kid, I thought was like very desirable. Like I bought the like description of him as being so like low key about his richness and so like sensitive and all this stuff. And like, when I read it now, I'm like, 
oh wow he's disgusting he's gross yeah but so at the time i like really rooted for them so i was excited by the idea of like liz getting the attentions of this like older sexy hot guy and that like maybe that would go somewhere so i think i was sort of bummed when it just was like the beef tornadoes and call it a night basically yeah (laughs) so and that's not a euphemism listeners (laughs) (laughs) should we get into the the titles and the cover okay so the titles deceptions Mm -hmm. you mentioned that there may be some insidious other deceptions. I mean, Nicholas's deceptions, Nicholas's deceptions of Elizabeth and the way that he's like, I don't know if this is too pop psychology a term, but like the way that he's love bombing her um, and emotionally kind of manipulating her. So there's that deception. There's Elizabeth's self-deceptions where she is like actively lying to herself and denying herself and kind of playing mind games really only with herself. There's, what do you feel she's lying about? Oh, whether she wants to go on a date with Nicholas, why she's going on a date with Nicholas, whether she really likes Todd, whether, like, who you she is. She, you think, I mean, we'll get into it, but you think she does want to go on a date with Nicholas? I think, yes. I think that she acts like she's being pushed into going on a date with Nicholas, and she... I think self-deceives that like, oh, she has to. This is It's another one of the classic Elizabeths. I'm in too deep. Now I need to do it. And it's like, none of that is, you are deceiving yourself if you believe you are in so deep that you have to go on a date with this handsome, rich guy that you pretend you don't want to go on a date with. I agree with, I think probably most of what you're saying, but I think another reading is the like continued depiction of rape culture. Like with Carl, her abductor, we saw her, repeatedly like have intuitions and then ignore them have discomfort and then ignore it to like make him comfortable and like not make things weird or whatever and then I think similarly with Nicholas I saw it almost more a parallel to that where like what I was seeing in that was like there's so many moments where she feels uncomfortable and thinks well I don't want to make him feel awkward she acquiesces or whatever and I'm not saying it's only for that reason or that justifies or that like Mm. is what it is every time or that she like has to go to dinner because it's like great culture but I'm like and maybe it's both like I think those can actually all be there but like another interpretation I had of the title is that I think her self-deception is more like I think Nicholas is sort of like an avoidance device because what we saw in Dear Sister was that after her accident she was doing this like repression and denial and part of her trauma and of what happened. And part of that entails avoiding Todd and like going and flirting with other guys. She's just been kidnapped. We talked about in kidnapped, like to what extent is she potentially denying certain aspects of what happened? Mm. And I think in this book, okay, let me just lay it out. Mm-hmm. When the kidnapping is introduced as exposition, it's literally like half a sentence. Right. So it's literally like in the context of like, when Jessica brought her sweater the night she was kidnapped, period. And then it's like, we get a couple more people mentioning it and she cuts it off. She goes, it's over. I don't want to talk about it. And then we get a million other examples in the book of her doing like thought monitoring and trying to change her thoughts and control them to things. And then we also see a lot of examples in the book of there being a moment of emotional discomfort and Nicholas pulls her away. And I think that that's kind of a metaphor of like, as we know, Todd sees her. Todd sees her emotions. Nicholas is fixated on her, but he doesn't actually see her. And he's not aware of this. And he's not going to get her to talk about the kidnapping. It, just her trauma in general, right? Like, I think the fact that she, just like in Dear Sister, comes home from an, from a trauma. And the first thing she says is she wants to have a pool party. Part of the deception may also be that, like, the just avoidance and denial of this major traumatic event that's happened. And Nicholas helps her with that. I can see that. I also just feel like... 
I, my reading is much more Elizabeth actually does want to go out with Nicholas and the discomfort that she often feels, I think potentially could be read as having more to do with the discomfort of upending her relationship with Todd, the discomfort of actually having wants and giving mm-hmm. into those wants. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's all of it. I think, I think it's, all, it's all, all there. I, I also want to say, like, she really deceives Jess in this book. And let me mm. just put it this way. Jessica has made it clear that she's interested in Nicholas Mora. Before she met him, after she met him, whether for shallow, you know, before she met him, it was for all these shallow reasons. He's fabulously wealthy and she'd heard he was gorgeous. Then when Jessica met him during Kidnapped, we saw a moment of authentic sort of interest in him and realizing that he's compassionate and low key and intelligent and and sensitive or whatever the hell it was, some inner qualities that she actually liked about him, his sort of quiet confidence or whatnot. In any case, I think she's made it and continues to make it in this book abundantly clear that she is really interested in this guy. Mm -hmm. And Elizabeth goes out with him and all this stuff as she watches Jess get more and more whatever about it. And she has all these moments where she's like so worried about Todd's feelings and so worried about Nicholas's feelings. She certainly isn't worried about herself, but she's also definitely not worried about Jessica's feelings in this one. And I felt like that was her fault. So I was hurt on behalf of Jess. And then she like blames it on her temper. She's like, well, I'm not telling her because she has such a bad temper. And then when she tells her, Jess is like gets over it so quickly. So I'm just like, anyhow. All right. You want this? You want the taglines? Uh, I do. All right. So on the front we have. Books can be deceiving. No. Ooh, that would be interesting. No. <laughs> Has Elizabeth found a new love? Oh, not really related to deceptions, but okay. On the back, a tangled web, dot, dot, dot. Okay, okay. Oh, what tangled webs we weave when first we practice to deceive. This is a poem by, do we know who? I don't know if I do know who. Well, they'll often misattributed to Shakespeare. I was going to guess Shakespeare. I would have misattributed how embarrassing. Oh, let me tell you, when I Googled it, I Googled Shakespeare, what tangled web we weave. And did I have egg on my face when the first result was, everyone thinks it's Shakespeare, but it turns out it's not. And I'm a dummy, just like everyone else. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it turns out it's by Sir Walter Scott. Oh, now, sure, sure, sure. And the poem is called Marion or Marion or something like this. <laughs> Whatever it is, I looked it up. And the story that it's about is Google. But basically what happens is this guy has this like mistress. I don't know the deal. But he has this, like, let's just call her a mistress. Yeah. But the woman he really wants, who is rich, he actually wants this rich woman. So what he does is, like, the rich woman's married. So he, like, with the help of his mistress, which I don't know how he wrote her into this, mm. they, like, frame the husband of the rich woman for, for like, treason for treason or something. Fine. But then it, like, ends up backfiring on them. Oh, no. And the mistress ends up getting something very bad happened to her, Uh-oh. which is she gets walled up. And I did click on the Wikipedia hyperlink of walled up. Which she hadn't. <laughs> I'm like, I think I know what this means. And it is what you think is being kind of buried alive vis-a-vis a wall. So <laughs> I, think, you know, and I think what we're getting at here is when one engages in deceit, mm-hmm. one may weave a web that becomes too tangled for one even to get one's own way out of. Mm-hmm. And it may backfire. You may end up mm-hmm. in a wall. And so, you know, does Liz end up in a wall here? No. Not exactly. Pretty much everything <laughs> ends up fine and the same, but I don't know what that's about. Now, the cover. Hit me with that coup. Oh, I hate. Je <laughs> detest. Okay. So we've got Elizabeth looking out at us in kind of a seafoam green, or maybe it's like a light baby blue, like kind of 
I think potentially collared short sleeve shirt. She would spontaneously combust if she didn't wear a polo. Yeah. If someone put her in something other than a polo, okay, it's over. Fireworks. She has one hand kind of on her clavicle, on her breast, on her heart. Nicholas Morrow, who must, it must be said, is hot, mm-hmm. is wearing, it must be said, a wheat colored button down. And he's wearing it well. He's wearing it real well. And he is looking at Elizabeth with lust. Elizabeth is looking out at us with kind of a smirk. Who's deceiving whom? What a tangled web we weave. Okay. Wonderful. A couple of additions from me. Thank you. When I looked at the pose she's doing with her hand like this, um, my my thought was like, it's a few things for me. One is like, it's sort of like a prim and proper. Yes. Like a who me. Mm. Uh, But- and we remember last time when she was about to be kidnapped and she had, did Betty Boop and she's like, who? <laughs> and um, she loves to do that. Um, but what it also reminded me of, like, Carrie from Sex and City always does that really fucking annoying thing of, like, when she puts her hand on her heart to be like, I, it's either like I'm overcome or, like, I'm being genuine. It's yeah. like her, like, earnest gesture mm. about him. Two things. Woodbang. Hundo P. Yeah, without question. And, and sorry, listeners canonically he is 18 so this is legal and as long as he's consenting we're fine and also listeners if you ever look at the cover he looks 35 he looks like grant show from melrose place he's barely legal yes (laughs) and (laughs) a couple things about him number one his hair is parted on the left which i'm shocked you didn't mention of course according to hair part theory this is the sort of ideal masculine way he's got a a chin a real chin on him Mm -hmm. but also one thing i noticed about him and i don't know if this comes through He's the only character so far that we haven't at all seen his, I believe, seen his eyes. Like, mm. he's shown in profile and he's looking down at her. He's so solely focused on her. We don't even see the whites of his eyes. Like, And so I thought yeah. that's interesting because usually their expressions in their eyes, we usually take so much from it. Mm. So the fact that it's not shown to us made me wonder also, like, what it may be telling us about, A, his, like, his singular focus on her that is so fucking creepy, mm-hmm. but also what deception may he be having for? You know, w- when we talked about the interpretation of it and you talked about his deception of her, I certainly agree with you that the love bombing, the manipulation and the bullshit is like bad. Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily see it as deceptive. Well, I was just, he's saying he loves her and he doesn't love her. I guess. Yeah. I, I don't yeah. think he's consciously lying. Okay. That um, would be deceptive. Shall we to the text? So this book opens with Elizabeth welcoming Nicholas into her home. And the way that Nicholas is described and the fact that this opens with her inviting him in, it's giving vampire. Mm -hmm. He can only come in because he's invited. He has dark, soulful eyes. We've only seen him at night. We've only seen him at night. He's staring at her as if mesmerized. I just feel like there's something sinister and dark and potentially vampiric about young Nicholas. Yeah, he's too intense. It's giving Edward Cullen. Get a sense of humor. Yeah, it is giving Edward Cullen. Sparkle a little less. His features are too finely chiseled, if you know what I mean. So they have this weird thing where they basically just kind of like stare at each other upon first meeting. And Elizabeth says that it was the last thing on earth that she expected from Nicholas Moreau that he would be mesmerized by her. She had expected him to be handsome, and duh, he is. She'd also expected him to be intelligent, and she could tell that was true just by looking into his eyes. She could tell he was compassionate, too. This is the start for me of the reading of the deceptions that Elizabeth tells herself. 
Because she's telling herself that just by looking at this guy, she can tell that he is smart and compassionate. But last mm-hmm. week, we had people just looking at Regina's eyes and just from a sparkle in them said that she didn't take her beautiful surroundings for granted. And I, that really bothered me. I know. So if we're not allowing it here, then we have to question it there too. And there we said it was okay. But so I think what I'm questioning is not whether she is actually inferring these things. What I'm questioning is the deception she's telling herself. Because I think Liz is mm-hmm. horny for Nicholas. Mm-hmm. And so the I deception think, is 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 what? That, that she can see he's compassionate? Yeah, she, I think what she can see is that he's hot and she wants him. And instead of just being like, he's hot, I want him. She has to be like, oh, he's intelligent. He's compassionate. She like tells herself these lies so that she can kind of sublimate or manage some of her overwhelming horniness and be like, oh, it's fine. He's compassionate. He's intelligent. I don't agree with you because I'm sorry. Like I agree with you, but according to this book, he is intelligent and compassionate. And that is something that other people have corroborated. They confirm very quickly. Like Jessica, after talking to him for one minute, and then we saw also evidence of him being compassionate to Jessica. So like, this is supposed to be what it is. Like, I agree with you, but no, it's not enough. This is classic part of, you agree with me, but we're still fighting. Is that what mm-hmm. I have to understand? Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, and, and here we get the exposition about the kidnapping. What she had heard about Nicholas had come from Jessica, who practically went into a trance every time she mentioned Nicholas's name. Elizabeth had hardly been home an hour after her release from the kidnapper who'd held her captive before Jessica brought up the subject. And to me, this isn't our usual, oh, ha, ha, they really sort of summed that up neatly and left out some details from the previous book. Like, this is so extreme, okay, that it begs to be questioned, okay? This is drawing attention to itself and it's how conspicuous this erasure of the kidnapping is. Like, come on. This is telling us we're pushing this down, we're pushing this down. Also, I think I'm it's just no- kind I'm of- just noting it. I think it's kind of funny that an hour after her twin sister gets home from a kidnapper, Jessica's like, well, enough about all of that kidnapping. There's a new cute boy in town. Let's talk about him. I think that's very funny to me. And then the most amazing, amazing thing. He's rich. Liz says, and he drives a Porsche, like Bruce Patman. Wrong. Oh, Liz, he's so fabulously rich. He can afford to zip around in a Jeep. Elizabeth raised an eyebrow and Jessica quickly added, of course, his father drives a Ferrari. I love Brilliant. that line genius just can we just talk about the layers here number one they talk about nicholas as if he's literally stealth wealth when he all he does is talk about how rich he is and how hard it is for rich people oh we'll get there and he they live in this massive mansion it's just like they live in the biggest house in the whole state it's like these people are not that low-key and let's just everyone relax but it's like but it speaks to this very very real thing of like the more elite and you are and the more wealthy you are the idea of like affording Mm -hmm. to be able to do something in the lower class like level is like a thing you can do because you're so rich right so it's like yeah you could be rich and like eat at mcdonald's ironically or like this type of shit right Mm -hmm. it's like so jessica is aware of that which is funny but then also i love that like elizabeth raises an eyebrow what elizabeth one would assume is raising an eyebrow at here is a jeep's a great good nice car and like i interpret it as like that's what she's raising her eyebrow at but jessica quickly adds of course his father drives a ferrari so jessica was a, was interpreting the raised eyebrow as like only a jeep which is hilarious you know <laughs> yes. what i mean like jessica continues to go on with her own thing even though liz totally doesn't buy into it it's like so funny again they hit us with beyond their appearance jessica and elizabeth were as different as night and day 
While Jessica prided herself on being clever and devious, Elizabeth with fair- fairness and honesty personified. It's setting us up to see the ways in which Elizabeth is going to act more like a Jessica, even if it is like a knockoff, not successful Jessica. So we go into the party. The droids luckily are playing because Max Dellen, I know you were worried, has gotten his grades together so they can perform. And Nicholas asks Elizabeth to dance. And this is the kind of paragraph we get. Elizabeth had hoped to dance with Todd. But as hostess, she thought she should try to make Nicholas feel welcome. Sure, she replied, smiling at Todd. She led Nicholas over to where her best friend Enid and Enid's boyfriend George Warren were dancing. This idea that as the hostess, she needs to make Nicholas feel welcome and the way to make him feel welcome is to dance with him. She like sets it up as if she couldn't say no, but she certainly could have said no. But she also can't in the sense that he is a persistent creep. Like she turns him down and he, he won't stop staring at her and he won't stop following her. That's why I say he's hot Carl. It says she had hoped to dance with Todd. And I'm like, I don't see any reason why we shouldn't believe that. I agree with you. No one's forcing her to dance with Nick and she doesn't necessarily have to feel welcome. But then she also resents that later in the line where she's like, well, why am I responsible for how he feels? I don't know. I think it's all there. Let's keep going. We'll see what the text shows us. I think yeah. we're going to see examples of all of it. I think so too. I just think there's- Which is why this is so good. Yeah, why it's so good, why it's so rich, and also why she's so horny. Yeah. Um, they're singing a song, the droids are singing a song about Elizabeth, although we get no text or lyrics of that song. And I was like, that's an interesting, it just seems strange that they, they're they singing a song about you. And it's like, well, what are the words of that song? And it's like, again, with the repression of events, she must have written it to welcome me back. But instead of talking about I'm back. I've just had a traumatic event. Maybe him saying, how are you holding up? Mm-hmm. Um, it's, aren't kids this we value just the greatest? Do you think you're going to like it here? And then this, again, we could interpret both ways. He says she's very pretty and says she decided it was time to direct the conversation away from herself. So that could be either interpretation. Mm-hmm. And then the way she talks to but him then is she's so flirting. She's really flirting. She's My flirting. Temp- so that supports this reading for yeah. sure. Again, There's I think not it's a- all there. Would you mind? I mean. What? Miss Spies? Well, I mean, yeah, but whose voice... I mean, that's Blanche, is it not? My spies tell me that you're going to college next year. Your spies are right. What else? That you're taking this year off to learn your father's business. Right again. And did they tell you what that business is? Computers. Very clever, these spies of yours. Any more information to report? Not much. On the other hand, my crystal ball. Aha, the crystal ball. What does that say? First, that the music stopped. Then? Right. then? Yeah. I mean, this feels flirty to me, right? There's a there's an undercurrent. Oh, yeah, there's the spies, the crystal ball. Then we have Robin, former fatty, never forget, comes up and hugs Liz. Liz, Robin cried out hugging her. It's so wonderful that you're home again. Elizabeth placed a finger on her friend's lips. Let's not talk about the kidnapping anymore, she said. Now that the ordeal is behind her, she wanted to forget about it. Yeah, I mean, she's definitely shutting down all of this stuff. Uh, You said Robin, former fatty, never forget. As if we could forget, they introduce her as she's drinking a Diet Coke while her boyfriend Mm -hmm. heaps his own plate with sandwiches. Never forget. Yeah. And then Nicholas, again, being a creep, shows up in their conversation. Nicholas 
Elizabeth exclaimed, spinning around in surprise. I thought... Not that I'd let you out of my sight. Ha, ha, ha. Then we get Elizabeth laughed too, but she felt uncomfortable. And then Liz introduces them. And she's like, have you met Nick, Nicholas? And Robin says, yeah, uh, last week at the party, the night you... She was about to say disappeared, but she stopped just in time. What I mean is, it was an awkward moment, but Nicholas glossed over it by holding out a hand to Elizabeth. Hey, he said, let's dance. Before she could say a word, he whirled her off. So that's what also makes me think he's an avoidance device. He has, part of the role Nicholas is playing in this book is enabling Elizabeth to avoid reality and avoid her feelings. I agree with that. I also think that uncomfortable feeling that she has could be, you know, that when you're like kind of feeling like, "Mm." yeah, they dance again. Nicholas wants to introduce her to Regina. Of course, Elizabeth's first reaction is, oh, Nicholas, she's so pretty. Because what else could be important to notice about a human being except that they're pretty? Regina heaps on praise to Elizabeth saying, oh, my gosh, you read for the Oracle. It's re- you write eyes and ears. It's really good. You must be about the most talented person in the whole valley. That was fucking deranged. It was giving Suzanne Devlin because wasn't that her name? I can't remember. I don't know who you're talking about. Suzanne from New York. Oh, yeah. Suzanne from New York came and she's like, oh my gosh, Liz, like you write for the Oracle. Like you're so smart. And this little town is so cool. It's the coolest place I've ever been. And like, aren't you the best? And aren't you pretty? And isn't Todd great? And I'm sorry, but like Regina, who is extremely sophisticated, okay, does not think that Liz's column about Mr. Pendergast offering high school kids summer jobs makes her the most talented person in the Valley. And in the Valley is also a dig. (laughs) Wow. For Regina. The valley is tiny. And then Liz is on top of the world. I just have to say, after that praise. I mean, she's blushing. I think, Mm. I mean, she, and I'm not saying this entitles Nicholas to anything, but she clearly enjoys the attention. Um, Jessica swoops in to take Nicholas away because she's like, oh, you need to meet my parents. And so she takes him to meet the Wakefields. We get the same old description of the Wakefields. Stephen's not around to be met because he's so sad about Trisha. Jessica is, of course, wearing her sexiest outfit, a slinky black pantsuit with a plunging neckline. She's like basically all over Nicholas and he's kind of friendly, not super engaging. And then he leaves her to go say bye to Liz. And then we get an interesting moment. Yeah. Todd stood beside Elizabeth on the opposite side of the room, his arm draped around her shoulder. Tired, he asked. Elizabeth laughed and shook her head. Should I be? Playing hostess to a gang this size could wear anyone out, he said. But I love it, she insisted. Besides, Jessica did most of the work. And Todd's like, Jessica, things sure have changed. And then it's like, she didn't want to have an argument. And we know that mm. comments about Jessica's a sore spot. She's like, I'm not tired, but I'm dying of thirst. Go get me a root beer. The fact of her changing the subject to avoid an argument is, I think, also reinforcing like a potential for some more distance or friction from, fra- from Todd. So many books now we've gotten like little moments where like, Either he makes a remark and he comes or and she comes to Jess's defense or she doesn't or whatever. Changing the subject to avoid an argument. I don't know. Like, again, it's like maybe that's extra incentive to go out with Nicholas because Nicholas doesn't have baggage with Jessica. He's not going to make snide mm-hmm. remarks about her kind of thing. And so it's like, again, a sort of contrast. But what actually stood out to me when I was reading it, when he says tired and like she isn't, this isn't necessarily in the text, but this is just how I read it. And like, it felt for me reminiscent of like, Again, like he sees her. When he looks at her, he knows what she feels. Todd is someone who's sensitive to Liz. 
like already it was weird that when she came back from being kidnapped, she right away wanted to have this party. And I think him looking at her and them having this like down moment and him being like tired and her being like, no, I'm still wearing to go. Like, it's great. I'm good. It felt to me a little bit of like, I don't want to say manic, but like something about her energy. I feel like I read this as he's sensing something is off and she's avoiding hmm. because like she probably is or should be tired. I don't know. That's you know I, mean? I just, I kind of believe like, women. So like when a woman says she's not tired, I believe that she's not tired. Hashtag believe women. That's just me. And I believe homosexuals. It's beautiful. Hashtag believe homosexuals. No homo. No homo, some homo. We get this back and forth between them. And then Todd goes to get a root beer. And Nicholas comes by Elizabeth with with his coat. She says to him, going so soon, couldn't you stay a while longer? Nicholas has just told Jessica he has to leave because he has to get good night's sleep to help his dad in the morning. And yet to Elizabeth, of course, he says, a look of relief crossed Nicholas's face. I guess I can stay for a few more minutes. I do want to point out, just in kind of support of my own lusty Lizzie theory, like this going so soon feels pointed, let's just say. I agree. I agree. I felt that too. So Nicholas then says that he thinks he's falling in love with Elizabeth. Iconic. Elizabeth has to catch her breath, but says... But you don't even know me. That yeah, doesn't... normal. The normal reaction. Yeah, that doesn't matter. I'd fall. I fell in love with you the minute I saw you there in the moonlight. Moonlight does strange things. You'll feel different tomorrow. Then Liz does say she has a boyfriend. He finally figures out. Oh, Todd Wilkinson. Todd Wilkinson. Sorry, tall, good looking. Doesn't he play basketball? And then there's this to me kind of a funny moment where they're clearly in like a pretty serious conversation he has just professed his love for her whether it's true or not true and she goes yes he's the best player on the team wait till you'll see him in the championship game so you see like she's so excited to talk about Todd and how good he is at basketball it's like that's not really relevant right now but that also made me think like she really is trying to tell him no in a lot of different ways including like gushing over how great Todd is in this awkward way like that's also a way of signaling that she goes, I like you, but I don't think I could ever be in love with you. Like, I see her telling him no a lot of different ways. I also see her telling him yes. And I also see her telling him leaving so soon. And it's both and. Okay? It's both I, and. I don't like it. I don't like it, but it is. Interestingly, he then kind of no. inverts what she said to him. She says, I don't think I could ever be in love with you. And then he says, how can you tell you don't even know me? Yeah. yeah. Which is like yeah. an interesting inversion because 10 seconds ago, she said, you don't know me. You can't be in love with me. And he's like, well, you don't know me. You can't know you don't love me. Why he pressed her? Am I really so unattractive? Elizabeth's eyes widened in astonishment. Didn't Nicholas Morrow know that he was great looking? When Elizabeth said nothing, he repeated his question. Am I really so unattractive? Frankenstein, maybe? He screwed his face into a hideous mask. His eyes bulged and his mouth twisted in a ghastly grin. Or Dracula? I'm not going to sort of attempt to vocalize this, but he emitted a half-suppressed <laughs> blood-curling scream. Or the hunchback of Notre Dame? He bent almost double, then shot his shoulders forward. He was so ridiculous that Elizabeth burst out laughing. Then she looked at him critically. Well, you don't have bolts coming out of your neck, she said, so you can't be Frankenstein. And you don't have fangs, so you can't be Dracula. And I have two eyes, so so you can't be the one-eyed monster, Elizabeth said. She cocked her head to one side, studying him. Let me see now. Suddenly she snapped her fingers. He must be Nicholas Morrow. And you're one of the most attractive guys I've ever met. I do want to note that 
Whereas Jessica understands Frankenstein, both yes. Nicholas, both Nicholas and Elizabeth, the supposed intellectuals, are the ones who misunderstand Frankenstein. Okay, Absolutely. so one point for Jess. I just many I points just, for Jess. This just this just drove me crazy. Like this, like supposed modesty or something. Are you kidding? It's ridiculous. But how dumb is she that she she is astonished that he might not know he's attracted? It was just like, it felt very strange to me. But like when she then is sort of playing along, Mm -hmm. she's not being dumb, like, right? Like she's, isn't she point, she must be pointing out the sarcasm of it, right? Yeah, she's like, I think she's kind of flirting with him a little. Right, but so she's saying you're hot. Yes. So basically what this conversation is, like if we took away, if only the level of subtext, Mm -hmm. this conversation is like her being like, I have a boyfriend. And him being like, look at me. I'm and hot. her being like, yeah, you're right. <laughs> like, that's what's going on here. Basically. Yeah. But then he basically reiterates what we heard Alice just thinking, but not speaking in the previous book, which is that Elizabeth is too young to be, quote unquote, tied up with just one person. It is interesting to me that I do think she is very much enjoying the attention and very mm-hmm. much enjoying the fact that someone who wanted Jessica really wants her or so sorry someone jessica wants really wants her yeah i agree then we get enid tells liz we're glad to have you back safe and sound oh liz we were really scared for you she gives liz a big hug but it's over enid elizabeth said and i'm back here with all of you and that's just another very 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 tidy little micro reference Mm -hmm. and then Her thoughts return to Nicholas. It's back to Elizabeth and Nicholas. He again pressures her. Why don't you go out with me just once? I don't think it's an overread the fact that she got fucking kidnapped last book because she didn't listen to her intuition because she wanted to make a man comfortable. And in this book, this rich, good looking, hot, fancy, rich, nice guy, like there's no assault, there's no whatever, but he won't stop fucking bothering her to go out with him. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely bad. It's definitely harassy. It's definitely awful. And... I'm with you. All right, let's keep going. The second that she says yes, she's like, oh, now she's worried because she would have to tell Todd not to ask his permission, of course. Todd didn't own her any more than she owned him, but they'd always been honest with each other. And the decent thing would be to let him in on what was going on. She had no intention of deceiving Todd. The thing I want to highlight here is once the words were out of her mouth, a new worry crossed Elizabeth's mind. So I think a lot of what this book is about is which worries and which thoughts are going to cross Elizabeth's mind and which aren't. And part of what this whole quote unquote deception mm-hmm. is, a, it's a distraction for her. It's a thing she can worry about instead of thinking about what just happened. Mm. So now she gets to have a new worry. How am I going to tell Todd? And it's also just another, when she talks about how it wouldn't really have to be a date, she rationalized, it could be more like dinner with a friend. That I think is the real deception. This is like her deceiving herself and telling herself a story so that she can do this. We get a very brief glimpse of the kind of beginning of the subplot, which is Jessica's love affair with computers. She's talking to Randy, who is somebody that Jessica would normally not give the time of day, but Randy is a math whiz and a computer geek. And so Jessica talks about how interested she is in computers. Elizabeth's jaw dropped. Fascinated by computers, Jessica had never even mentioned them before. Then Elizabeth's heart sank as she realized that her twin had something up her sleeve. Elizabeth wasn't sure what it was, but she was certain that it would suit only Jessica. Oh, Jess, Elizabeth thought, how could you? And it's like, huh? You're very upset with your sister deceiving Randy while you are doing the same deceptions to your boyfriend. 
Yeah. She is thinking, oh, just how could you about something that hasn't happened yet? So the thing that has actually happened is that Jessica has said, I'm fascinated by computers and given Randy a devastating smile. Okay. She hasn't actually like done any scheme with him yet or fucked him over yet. This her saying, oh, Jess, how could you is really directed to herself. But again, it's like she's controlling her thoughts and her worries. You know, I agree. We get this moment that I think gets back to your point about controlling her thoughts and controlling her worries. She says, if only... Elizabeth could be more like her twin, she thought. Life would be so much simpler. Then she wouldn't have to worry about hurting Nicholas's feelings or Todd's either. She wasn't like Jessica, though, so she sternly ordered herself to face facts. She'd have to tell Todd, even if she was certain he wouldn't like it. Still, if he loved and trusted her, and he does, she told herself, he'd understand. That's not an accurate read of how Jessica moves through the world. Jessica has shown empathy and care and concern many times. Agree. We see this sort of like central conflict for Liz come up of like, she has this sense of justice, right? She has a Mm -hmm. sense of ethics, whether hypocritical or not. But she also has an avoidance of discomfort and an avoidance of uncertainty. She doesn't like to have uncomfortable conversations. She doesn't like to have uncomfortable feelings and she doesn't like to think uncomfortable thoughts. Mm -hmm. And so when when doing the right thing coincides with accepting a difficult reality or having a difficult conversation the scruples start to get a little messy. It's very clear that in this situation, she owes to Todd to be honest or to not go on the date or to at least tell Todd what's going on, right? Like that's very like, you can't really make excuses around that. So in this moment, she's saying, well, obviously I do the right thing. I'm going to tell Todd, but then she doesn't. We go back into the party. This is the longest a party has ever lasted either on this podcast or in this book. Um, and and Jessica get one is, of, I mean, the greatest lines in history. Jessica is talking to Randy Mason and she says... Computers just seem so complicated. I just don't know how anyone can understand them. I don't even know a bite from a nibble. She's hilarious. Yeah, really, really great. To Elizabeth's dismay, Randy seemed completely taken in by Jessica's line. I'm like, so was I. Yeah. Um, <laughs> just listeners, so you know, it's B-Y-T-E. So it's like a computer pun. Also, what I love about it is like, you have to have some base level of computer. I mean, this is the 80s. So like she has to have some base level knowledge of computers in the first place to even make that joke. And I just love her. I love that she's smarter than she lets on. She's the best. She keeps flirting with him by talking about how stupid she is, which is, Uh as we all know, the best way to flirt. And then he's like, I can help you with computers. And she's like, there's nothing I love more. And then Elizabeth goes to look for Todd. And I just had to talk about this description of him in the deck chair. Please. Did you lose your mind over this? Oh, is I lost my absolute applesauce over this, okay? Friends Which don't dish each other applesauce, Pardo. Never. Elizabeth wandered onto the patio. She spotted Todd almost at once. He was sitting on one of the deck chairs drawn up around the pool. His arms hung at his sides like lead, and he was snapping his fingers aimlessly. Elizabeth knew it was. She was in for trouble. Like, I really had to read this a few times. I really had to think about it. I had to sort of get into a mood. I had to sort of set a scene for myself. I'm in some kind of speakeasy. It's like 19, like, I don't know what. And I'm just like scatting. I'm just like, ba, ba, ba. And like, Kim Cattrall be like, ba, 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 ba. Well, he bit all the he-dogs and winked at all the she-dogs. The town never knew such a hullabaloo as that little dog raised till the end of that day. Like, what is this? It's like he has, it's like he's lying on it. Just 
please like picture this he's lying on a deck chair okay his arms are hung at his sides like lead so it's like he's tired or his body is like limp he's sort of like dead weight and he's snapping his fingers aimlessly like that is such a mood that is like literally like if he's not stoned it's like what is he it's like he's depressed but still sort of keeping himself like what is this like this is like insane this is crazy this is like one of the like most like interesting like evocative like descriptions of someone deck chair in history what do you take from this i died did you i mean i highlighted it was like what's going on i like could i mean describing someone as snapping their fingers aimlessly and with arms as heavy as lead how can you both be like snapping was such a casual thing but your arms heavy it's like so it's like you're sort of like as if you had like muscle relaxers or something oh maybe he's on quaaludes or something that could be fun well now we'd have to google no, we're not Googling. We can't <laughs> Benzo Bonzo bo- Bozo. Oh my God, taught on Quaaludes. Okay. Um, what I also ha- highlighted was from this, Elizabeth knew at once she was in for trouble. That aimless snapping really let her know. Yeah, we need to we need to think about this. It feels gross to me. It feels a little like one of the vibes I was getting was like daughter coming home late after curfew dad is sitting around snapping his fingers killing time like a shotgun in his hand there could be a shotgun there could just be snapping at first i didn't realize that it's like threat was like actually threatening of like oh it's scary but but later there is moments of violence from him where he like punches a wall and like does some other weird thing i wonder if he's doing drugs they have like a little fight basically because he's like you didn't talk to me all night because you were so busy with nicholas why was he hanging around you all evening? Oh, Todd, I don't think he was. Like, she's just a kind of, de- I mean, this is deceptions. She's just a kind of lying. By the way, so far I'm on Todd's side. Todd's right. I don't think he needs to call her the lady from the welcome wagon. Yeah, was that like a slut shamey thing? I didn't totally understand. I mean, the, the lady from the welcome wagon is not a phrase I'm super familiar with. Me neither, but like, I don't think it's actually slut shamey, but I just feel like it's like rude. I don't know. But he's right. Like, why was he hanging out with you all evening? It was fucking weird. I'm sorry, it was. And then she knows he's jealous. She says, Todd Wilkins, you're jealous. And he goes, can you blame me? Nicholas is rich and good looking, so he thinks he owns the world. And now he's going after the most wonderful girl in Sweet Valley who's supposed to be in love with me. At least that's what I thought. Okay, I'm in love I'm, with you, Todd. Sorry, I'm still... Okay, and then he, like, plants a kiss firmly on her mouth. He's like, great, good, I can trust you, we're good. And I just want to say, until this point, again... Aside from the welcome wagon, I'm still pro-Todd. And I think he was actually showing vulnerability when he said, Nicholas is rich and good looking and I actually am feeling jealous. That's a hard thing to say. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think Elizabeth ever fucking admitted it when she was feeling jealous over Patsy. And maybe part of what's going on here is she's trying to get some revenge on him for Patsy. But then, this is an interesting turn here. Because the next sentence is, as she felt his lips on hers, Elizabeth resolved to tell Todd what Nicholas evaporated. Now was at the time not after Todd had been so upset and when I first read this like I thought the sentence was going to end the other way which is like now that he kissed her firmly on the lips and they're all good and they trust each other and it's so good it's like she even more is going to be confirmed okay I better tell him now because like we're in this moment of connection and trust and like we've actually resolved any weird tension about Nicholas so like let me do this now so it's like because it's actually a good time to do it the most logical end of that sentence would be Elizabeth's resolve to cancel her date with Nick Morrow grew ever stronger. 
Yeah, and like Todd's good. Like he didn't do anything bad. Like yeah, he snapped his fingers, but in that scene, like all he did was tell the truth of how he was feeling jealous and he didn't appreciate Nick hanging around. And then she was like, Well, don't worry, I actually love you. And he took her at her word and he didn't be a possessive creep about it. And he kissed her and said, Great, we're good. So so far, I think he did good. I mean, he's doing fine and has created space for Elizabeth to either break the date or tell him the truth. Yeah. We then get a conversation between Jessica and Liz. Elizabeth kind of foreshadows a later meal that she, she'll she have because she says, Jessica, give me a hand. This place looks like a tornado hit it. We know, of course, she'll be having beef tornadoes later with Nicholas Morrow. And then Jessica says that she's in love and confesses that she's in love with Nicholas Morrow. And she is sure that he's in love with her. Instead of immediately saying to her sister, hey, I think you should probably know that Nicholas followed me around all night and asked me out. So instead of doing like the brave, honest thing, she tries to call out her sister on the deception and says, wait, if you're in love with Nicholas and Nicholas is in love with you, what was all that talk with Randy Mason about? So instead of having like the kind of mature, difficult conversation, she just kind of lays into her sister about Randy. And Jessica just says, oh, I'm learning about computers because I want to have something in common with Nicholas. And then again, Elizabeth has the opposite realization that she should have. Elizabeth realized that she couldn't tell Jessica about her date. She would have to keep it a secret. She knew her twins temper too well to risk an explosion. So like her current resolution is, okay, I'm going to go on the date. I'm going to tell Todd about it, unclear before or after. And then she's going to leave Nick after dinner, come straight home. Elizabeth knew he might be hurt and she was truly sorry about it. Hurt, I guess, meaning like when she just goes home straight after dinner. Yeah. And then she's actually going on a date, which is weird. But yeah. wasn't she giving him what he'd said he wanted? What she's describing is the difference between going on a date and going straight home and going on a date and not going straight home. Mm-hmm. And the question she's asking is if she goes on a date and goes straight home, will he be hurt? So then, isn't the implication like, is he expecting me to fuck? What other ways they're to interpret that? She literally says the sentence before she's going to come straight home. Like, what? The line I'm looking for that I don't see in this paragraph is, and then at dinner, she would tell Nicholas in no uncertain terms that they were just friends and this would never happen again. Right. But she doesn't say that. She doesn't actually say she's going to reject him and that it's just going to be one date. She says, then she's going to come straight home. Won't he be disappointed? Well, I think it speaks to like, why is she thinking about sex? Because she wants to have sex with him. Yeah, but it's crazy how, I don't want to say explicit because it's not explicit, but how no, it's not explicit at all. <laughs> there really isn't another reading of it where usually there is another reading. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Like, I can't think of just literally on the level of plot, what the fuck does this mean? No, that's what that I mean. he would be hurt by her coming straight home. Yeah, that's what it means. Damn, she's horny. She horny. These books are crazy. Oh, all right. So we're driving our little red Fiat Spider to school. Interestingly, Alex is having a staycation. Oh, yeah. She's taking a week off from work. Must be nice. Uh, They're sitting in the car and Jessica is wondering if she could wear her cute outfit on a date with Nicholas. And Elizabeth says, is Nicholas Morrow the only thing on your mind? In one of the most kind of clear examples of projection that we will find in these texts. In any text in in history. Yeah, in all of literature. You're right. Because it is so clear that Nicholas Morrow is the only thing on Elizabeth's mind. She, like, the the text tells us over and over again that all she thinks about is Nicholas Morrow. And again, if it's the only thing on her mind, she doesn't have to think about the bunker. Oh, that's true. Okay, I can hear that. Yeah, and then 
two pages later, we have Jessica continued to babble, but Elizabeth tuned her out. She was still so worried about her upcoming date with Nicholas that she couldn't think of anything else. Okay. Another example, thinking of Nicholas means she doesn't think of other things. And then questions are popping into her head. And she began to think of herself as some kind of phonograph record stuck in the same groove and spinning around and around. How is she going to tell Todd about Nicholas? And what if someone found out? Da, 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 da. And we may recall that in the previous book, there was a line where when Elizabeth was abducted, she described her thoughts playing on a loop in her head on a nightmarish tape going around and around. And the thoughts she was thinking at that point was, am I going to die? What's to become of me? And now she's a phonograph record spinning around and around on these thoughts of Todd and Nicholas and Todd and Nicholas and Todd and Nicholas. And again, I think this is an example that is drawing our attention to being on this loop is enabling her to not be on mm -hmm. that. That makes perfect sense to me. Um, we get to school and then we don't actually see school. We just see Jessica and Randy meeting back up. They always At meet the Romanesque under clock. Yeah. big Romanesque clock. Randy drives Jessica off in his old jalopy, leading us to believe that Randy is poor. poor. But then Randy pulls up in front of a split level house that was almost exactly like the Wakefields. So he's not so poor. Yeah, I just just clocking that like some cruelty. Like it's not just that Jessica is using Randy. She she's laughing to herself that he's falling for her act. Imagine him thinking that she's interested in him. Doesn't he know he's a nerd? And she's actually delighting in this and laughing to herself. And that was I didn't like reading that. Any curiosity about the story I tell myself to deal with that? Please. So I think that Jessica is actually in love with computers and in love with math and in love with this kind of STEM side of herself that she is experiencing. And she mm -hmm. feels very threatened by that in her identity because she's never been a big school girl. She's never really mm -hmm. been into computers. And so it is safer for her to be like playing this cat and mouse deception game of, oh, he thinks I like him, but I don't really like him. That feels like safe to her. Whereas it feels but very like risky to actually say, I'm interested in computers. I want to learn more. I think I'm smart and could learn these skills. I like that more than her just being cool. Yeah. So Liz is just always in a bad mood. Jessica's like, you're acting like a minor league monster. And Elizabeth angrily says, there's absolutely nothing the matter with me. To me, that sounds post-traumatic. Yeah, I, I do think it. there's definitely a desire to just be like, everything's the same. Everything's fine. There is this moment where we are celebrating the fact that Elizabeth is the best writer in all of Sweet Valley. The last story you wrote for the Oracle had everyone raving. So you know me, if everyone's raving about something, I'm going to want to read it. Ladies, in the great tradition of Paris's burning, get ready to visit the library, darling. Ah! Because reading is what? Fundamental. The story was about the computer Kurt Morrow, oh my God. Nicholas and Regina's Robert. father, had presented to Sweet Valley. It was to be used to keep track of the students' grades, according to Elizabeth's article. And then we get a quote from what is an article that is by the best writer. Regina Morrow is obsessed with how smart she is. This is what the quote is. Wait, this new And this quote had everyone at Sweet Valley High was raving. They're going up to each other at, at the lockers. They're, people in town are going up to each other at the water coasters are saying, hey, hey, did you hear? Did you read the latest in Sweet Valley High Oracle? Go, sorry. And I quote. This new piece of equipment will be a boon to the staff and administrators. No more lost records. No more inaccurate records. No more delays in getting out grades. 
Sweet Valley High is cashing in on the wave of the future. Okay. So the problems with this sentence are, of course, numerous. The library is open. It's bad writing. First off, the repetition of records is really terrible. And if you're going to repeat it twice and then have a third phrase, you need to repeat records the third time. Secondly, or fourthly, or whatever, the use of the word boon, it feels like you're just trying to be smart. You don't need to use the word boon. Um, And then Sweet Valley High is cashing in on the wave of the future. At least Mm -hmm. two metaphors being mixed there. You don't cash in on a wave. You catch a wave. Maybe you should have talked to Bill Chase about that. But you don't cash in on a wave. Terrible writing. Anything yeah, like that? Yeah, and it's like, it's it's platitudes. And it's also this sort of pretty naive kind of techno-optimism and the sort, oh, of, the yeah. sort of perfection of the machine. I mean, no more inaccurate records? Sweetie, we're 45 years later. <laughs> we still don't have a handle on digital records, okay? No more lost records? Sweetie, talk to Sephora.com, okay? No. No more delays getting upgrades? I don't think so, okay? This is just not accurate. The library is now officially closed. Um, so then we get introduced to the idea of hackers. Um, the idea that you could that you could alter the information in a record. And Jessica is the one who knows about this. So again, Jessica is the one showing aptitude and understanding like how technology can benefit her. And she's reading the Sweet Valley News. She's reading a real newspaper. Yeah. Like she reads, you know? Oh, yeah. Then, of course... We have Jessica and Randy. He is so taken with Jessica and actually taken with Jessica's act that he forgot he was pouring ketchup on his clams. So much ketchup goes everywhere. Bottle is half empty. Oh, well, he said cheerfully. I like ketchup. I love Randy. And then they plan that he's going to help her with math. And he's just kind of complimenting her on how smart she is and how quickly she's catching on to all the computer and the math stuff. And I just think that's great for her. We have a very boring interlude where Jessica and Elizabeth go to the mall. They go to shop at Foxy Mama's for some new dresses. They're I so worried it. that they're going to run into Nicholas. And then they do run into Nicholas. Elizabeth's really worried that Nicholas is going to say something to reveal the date. He doesn't. Later that evening, Nicholas calls to set up their date. And it's mm-hmm. described as, he says, is our date still on? Which I think gives her obviously an option to say, no, it is not. Mm-hmm. About a million butterflies took off from somewhere in the pit of Elizabeth's stomach and began to swarm around. She took a deep breath, hoping they'd go back to wherever they had come from. At the same time, she heard a little voice at the back of her mind telling her to say no. But she'd made a promise and she felt she had to keep it. Yes, she said at last in a low voice. And I just thought that was interesting that we're like getting the like rush of excitement along with the small voice that, that tells her to say no, but she doesn't listen to it. Exactly. And then she, they make plans to go to this fancy French place, Cote d'Or, and it's far away. And she thinks, great, I won't see anyone I know. And then she's trying to figure out what to wear. And again, we get this sort of really, really, really quick reference to the kidnapping. Her mouth twitched in a wry smile as she remembered the red velour skirt and the white blouse Jessica had laid out for her to wear it to the party at the morrow's the night she was kidnapped. And then it's like, so that was out. But then she looked for other clothes. So she is thinking about the outfit Jessica put out for her the night she got kidnapped. She is not thinking about getting kidnapped. She gets and then she advice talks- from yeah. Enid. Elizabeth says to Enid, I can't tell Jessica 
And she's going to be really upset if she finds out. And then Elizabeth says, I don't know what to do. I don't want to hurt Jessica or Todd, but I don't want to hurt Nicholas either. And I promised I'd go. And again, this just is like the- False equivalence. False equivalence. Like the two closest people in your world or this random other guy, I guess they're all the same. And then Enid just confirms it. It's like, yeah, "Yeah, I guess you do have to go out with him and not tell Jess. And it's like- Enabling Enid, am I right? Yeah. Then we're back at the Romanesque clock. Da, da, da. And we get Randy's going to be helping Jessica a little bit more with the math. And she has a plot to get him to do some hacking for her. But he thinks they're just studying math. And he's teaching her equations are a piece of cake. Not for me, Jessica said. They aren't any fun at all. Nothing like computers. Now they're fascinating. You bet they are. Then Randy caught on. Want to run a program or something? Oh, Randy. Jessica trilled, pretending to be surprised. Could I? Why not, he asked, handing her diskette. Let's see what you can do. She friggin' booted that machine while Randy watched, and he says, you're absolutely sensational. His eyes glow with enthusiasm, and she's like, I'll never be as good as you. There are a million things I could never learn. Like what, he challenged. I read somewhere about plugging into other computers or something. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Randy nodded, and Jessica went on. Into a network, I think it is? Oh, that, sure, people do that, Randy replied. Do you know how? Jessica seemed innocent as a baby as she waited for him to answer. Sure, it's no big deal. Could he show me? Sure, but hey, that's illegal, you know. But it wouldn't hurt if you just show me, Jessica urged. And then he shows her he's able to pull up the uh, information of sales of a real estate company in Sweet Valley. And she is pretending to be very impressed and excited by this. So he keeps showing her. And then Jessica was breathless with excitement. It's what Elizabeth called it in that story she wrote for the Oracle. The wave of the future. And then she's like, plug into the computer school um, as if she just thought of it, which is so genius. And he's like, I really shouldn't. And she's like, come on, it's not like the FBI. And he's like, fine. And then she's like, well, you couldn't just like look at my grades, could you? And he's like, mm. and basically she like keeps like progressively step-by-step getting him to like get to this idea that like her grade could be viewed and then her grade turns out to be an F and then what's she going to do? And then what if it could be changed? And he's like, I could never. And she's like, yes, you could. And then he says, okay. And he changes the grade. And then he's like, so you want to go to the dairy portal? She's like, oh, I got to go home. <laughs> she's like, since you've already done what I asked you to do, let's keep moving. Okay. Then Randy calls and thinks that it's Jess, but it's actually Liz. And before Liz can correct him, he's like, uh, uh, we got a problem. Uh, when I change your math grade, the way you asked me to, plugging into the computer that way and then changing the data the, the way it changed your grade that's a federal offense and um he basically thinks that they've been caught because he went back in and the code the access code had been changed and he's like so i've got to turn myself in but i want to tell you and i'm hoping that you'll come with me and elizabeth pretending to be jessica is like yeah i'll be there and then liz goes to jessica's room and says you're going to turn yourself in and then she takes them and the way the story is told is like Elizabeth in her head is thinking thoughts to like plead with Jessica silently to like say the right things and like acknowledge her own role in it. And she's like, Jessica, say we did it. Say we did it. And then it's like, Jessica said we did it. And then like we changed my grade. And, and it's like, it's phrases like, well, thank God, like the the telepathy worked and like Jessica heard Elizabeth's words because she said them or something. And so it's like all framed or Elizabeth's trying to like tell her to do the right thing and she does it, which is all very much like distracting from elizabeth 
being honest about her own situations okay and then she's like didn't you know what you were getting into and then she's like people make mistakes chrome dome people make mistakes and elizabeth like cries and says people make mistakes and like you should forgive them and chrome dome's like okay just because of you elizabeth which is like what the fuck jessica shows almost no remorse and then elizabeth has to step in and say what she thinks is the right thing and she's crying it feels like her reaction is maybe just like not a reaction to the actual stimuli this is a rehearsal for her conversation with Todd. When she's crying and saying people make mistakes, yeah. she's talking about herself. Definitely. As long as they all promise not to say anything, everything is fine. Liz and Todd go to the movies. And they then... go to the Dairy Burger for clams. Or actually, they don't... Sorry, sorry. Correction. They go to the Dairy Burger. They do not order clams. They order burgers. Hugely um, important moment. Swish. Swish. What's the problem with Swish here? Problem? Yeah, let's go to the text, shall we? Oh, As Elizabeth shook her head, Todd crumpled his napkin and tossed it toward a coffee cup on a recently vacated table. It teetered on the cup's rim for a moment, then fell in. Swish. Score one for me. Canonically. I know. Yes. I know. Mm -hmm. Swish when it doesn't touch the rim. Exactly. (laughs) I don't know anything about sports, Robert. I'm really proud of myself. I'm really proud of you as well. Okay. Do you have anything else to say about Swish? No, that was that was the whole thing. It's just it's shocking that Todd, as a basketballman, doesn't know what a swish is. Hmm. Wait, so is score one and score two related to that? Yeah. So is it different points if it swishes or not? No, it's different points whether it's like a foul shot or not a foul shot or a three point shot. You don't care. I don't care. No one cares. But it's funny. Then Liz is getting ready for her date at cold door and nicholas is like do you want me to pick you up and we'll drive there together and she's like no thanks i'll meet you there and she's as like, she's getting me. ready she puts on a touch of eyeshadow blush on her cheeks and lip gloss which cheeks oh <laughs> what <laughs> no i was gonna ask fuck mary kill eyeshadow blush lip gloss can i choose the color sure i guess i mean yeah okay then i marry blush I fuck eyeshadow would kill lip gloss. For the one I would marry, I would make it like as close to a bronzer as possible. I'm Go obviously ahead. marrying lip gloss, fucking blush, pitching eyeshadow because my eyes don't really need it. They kind of sparkle and shine without it. Okay. And then she dabbed perfume behind her ears. So yeah, she is absolutely getting it together, right and tight for Nicholas. She decided on a natural silk shantung. I don't know what that is. Dress. Do you know what that is? No, I mean, do I have to Google? We, do we care? We can Google, I guess I don't care at all. The style was simplicity itself. I do like that. Um, she's making sure everything's okay, and she, of course, it wouldn't be a sweet valley high book without a mirror. She looks at herself before the full length mirror. She pirouettes. Elizabeth could find nothing wrong with the image she saw. She's like so. I mean, this is where I really get in with you and the idea of her like trying to cope with the trauma. Like she's focused on the image she is projecting. She's externalizing and she can't be thinking about her own thoughts and life. So instead she's like, oh, who's that pretty girl in that mirror there? What mirror where? She seems happy. She seems perfect. Nothing wrong with that image. That image certainly wasn't just kidnapped and is like trying to cope with the the nightmare that it is. Mm-hmm. She puts on that jacket so she can sneak by Jessica without Jessica knowing. Jessica sees her and says, where are you going? I'm going to Enid's. But in fact, she is obviously going to... Or She gets there. 
It's the small town of Malvina, fancy boutiques, handsome houses, sloping green lawns, and so on. Just these descriptions. She she goes through to, to Nicholas watching two snow white doves fluttering about in a huge domed cage of gold. He was wearing a pair of charcoal gray slacks and a black dinner jacket. As he turned around, Elizabeth could see a tasteful maroon ascot fastened about his neck. Then there's a silver bowl with tiny fresh-cut red tulips and miniature white irises, lovely antique mahogany table, graceful gilded chairs, fabulous chateau in France, art museum paintings. Sounds good to me. Dinner table is white damask cloth and glittering silver and sparkling crystal bowl of tiny pink rosebuds. It's just so much. It's It's giving like Liberace. It's giving like... Oh, I love Liberace. Have you seen Behind the Candelabra? Of course. Required reading. I'm sorry, but that movie is wild. Okay. She looks at the menu and she's like, wow, this is so fancy. And he's like, do you want me to order for you? And she's like, yeah. Okay. So then Nicholas orders dinner and he has been planning this meal ever since she said yes. We'll begin with the smoked salmon. Mm-hmm. After that, we'll have the tornado <laughs> Rossini mm-hmm. with puffed potatoes, the way you're asked. Yes. And Harry Cover. And for dessert, we'll have the wild strawberry souffle. Now, I've been thinking about how we're going to do this because we got four. I know. We got four things plus the puffed potato. So, I mean, if we want to do the tornado to include the puffed potatoes and Eric Colbert as a side, or is that going to be too much? I don't know how you want to do it. Or we could add more categories like sister wives or. or <laughs> I just think about more categories. <laughs> I was thinking about like, oh, but you're cheating with. Yeah, mistress. And so yeah, on. so it's like fuck, Mary, kill, mistress. And sister wives. Wait, do we need five things? Yeah. Oh gosh, we need five. We have smoked things. salmon, tornado, Rossini, puff potatoes, airy covert, and strawberry souffle. Okay. I'm definitely. I mean, married. by the way, should yeah. we just? I did Google what tornado Rossini is. Oh, of course, I did too. Do you want to read it now to the class? It's basically like a fancy fucking steak with some foie gras on top, sitting on a crouton. Yeah. Right. I I found the same on my, my Wikipedia said just what your Wikipedia said. Yeah. So I am absolutely marrying the smoked salmon. I am absolutely killing the tornadoes Rossini. You think now, the smoked salmon is served like with any? I don't know. Yes. I mean, there's capers on. Like, what do you think? Yes. This, is, I, like, what? In, in my mind, there are toast points. There's capers, and there's some kind of spreadable cheese, be it cream cheese, be it mascarpone. What? Yeah. Oh yeah. You think it's I, just a platter of smoked salmon? I mean, I think it has, um, what's the word? Like garnishes on top. I don't think it has a dairy spread. You don't think you know it has toast I mean? points? Toast points, maybe, but I, I don't think there's any spread. I wish we could just I get feel like the it would menu have said, for like, or. I feel like we sort of have to go by what it says. Like, we, if for, for us to add stuff that's not there is sort of cheating. Okay, know? I'm still marrying the smoked salmon. You're the okay, one who yeah. asked me. I'm just I'm marrying asking. smoked okay. salmon. I'm killing Tornado's Rossini. I am sister wivesing puffed potatoes. <laughs> So that means that, like, the puff potatoes is your spouse, but do you also have to choose who your sister wife is? Or is your sister wife another one of those? Or is your sister wife me? No, no, sister wife is smoked salmon. So it's smoked salmon and puff potatoes are sister wives. No, but you said you, sorry, you said you were marrying smoked salmon. So I thought that assumes, like, monogamous. <laughs> but then you said you're sister wiving the, the puff potatoes. And so who's the sister and who's the? The who's... smoked salmon is my primary partner. The puff potatoes are sister wife or secondary, but but committed oh, partner. Oh, to the same spouse. Yeah, because they're the same oh. spouse. Puff potatoes, sister wife. Um, I'm fucking the hair cover and the wild strawberry souffle is my mistress. 
I feel very strongly about those choices. Okay. I do hate to rush you, but... (laughs) I'm going to... I'm going to marry the strawberry souffle. I'm going to be sister-wise with Eric Colbert. I'm going to be mistress with the puffed potatoes. I'm going to kill a tornado Rossini. And I'm going to fuck the salmon. Okay. I hope you're happy. <laughs> we, again, we then get this tortured back and forth where Nicholas is just like going out of his way to be down to earth. And he's like, I honestly, I prefer the dairy burger to this. And then he has this terrible monologue about how hard it is to be rich. Being wealthy and living in a place like that causes lots of problems. It's wonderful to have the money to do the things you like to do, but people get strange ideas about you too. Just because you're rich, they have the notion that you're stuck up. And those who are give the rest of us a bad name. So a lot of people are downright unfriendly. Then there are those who want to know us just because we have money. He's like, she's so lucky. She's a star, but she cries, cries, cries at the lonely thinking. So I will say that the harrowing and beautiful story of Lucky by Britney Spears really has almost no parallels to this. He's just a dick. No, Lucky's but it's like not a crying dick. Ri- it's crying rich boohoo. I said that, you'd be like, Wow, you're seeing two things are the same that are so different. And I'd be like, I'm not saying it's exactly the same, but like there's certainly overlaps when you agree. And you then you'd be like, okay, I guess there's overlaps. No, I think well, I'm not we don't need to get any like a long form <laughs> wow. analysis of Britney wow. Spears lucky, but I do feel confident that I'm right. That'll be behind the paywall. Yeah, absolutely. All right, finally their tornadoes arrive. They start talking about Like, Elizabeth says, I don't really know you. And he says, except that I'm rich. He smiled wryly. Like, he gets off on the fact that he's hot and rich. Um, And he acts like everyone else is obsessed with how rich he is, but he refuses to, like, talk about anything else. It's like, he takes her to this fancy place, and then he just is like, I'm rich, I'm rich, I'm rich, I'm rich, I'm rich, I'm rich. That's all he says. It is. So she's like, I want to get to know you better. Do you swim? Which is such a strange kind of way to get to know someone better. Then they start talking about skiing. And again, he has to mention how rich he is. Europe. Sometimes Vale, sometimes Aspen, sometimes St. Moritz. Not as nice as Zermatt in Switzerland. Then they start talking about how much they love to read. And then they basically like have a nice time. She's like, I'm not in love with you. And let's just be friends. And he's like, well, thanks for giving me a chance. And she's like, well, I'm glad that all wrapped up good. And then Todd shows up with his family. Turns out that's where they were going to celebrate his mom's birthday. Hashtag Mrs. Doubtfire. Right. And he is walking towards their table and Elizabeth has to think quick. In a few seconds, Todd would be passing the table where she and Nicholas sat. What would happen then? What would Todd say? Would he make a scene? Would there be ugly words between them? She couldn't bear to think about it. Elizabeth immediately pretends to be Jessica. She pretends to be Jess. She's like, oh my gosh, how do you think I'm Liz? Like, wait till I tell her. You'll be in about 137 different kinds of trouble. I loved that. So she gaslights Todd. And then what's crazy is Todd, like, so it works. He's like, oh, sorry. And then he leaves. And then Elizabeth is like, "Uh, sorry, I couldn't deal with it. And then Nicholas Nicholas nodded. What you did was exactly right for the moment, he said. (laughs) Sure. Which, again, he enables her denial. Right. And they leave 
And Liz is like, well, at least I got my way out of that. And like, now everything's going to be fine. Cause he'll just think that that was Jess and me and him are going to be good. And I won't see Nicholas anymore. And that storyline is basically closed. Little does she know that Todd has been so sort of disturbed by this whole scenario that he decides he must rush over after dinner right away to the Wakefields, which is where Liz must be. And he must say to her, I'm so sorry. He has to apologize. So weird. He shows up and someone opens door. He thinks it's Liz because Liz must be the one home because he just saw Jess at restaurant. And so the one who opens door gets a nice big kiss from him. Then he kisses her. her. Yes, he kisses Jessica. And then Jessica's like, wow, no wonder Elizabeth likes you as much as she does. And then he's like, God damn it, you're Jess. And then he tells her that Liz was out with Nicholas and pretended to be her. Todd was in a frenzy now. Elizabeth had deceived him. And they're both getting all excited about this. Todd punches the wall. Jessica's furious. They're sort of screaming at each other, what are we going to do? He's like, I'm going to dump Liz. He kicks his tires, slams the door, drives away, tires squealing, and Jessica's pissed off and ready for Elizabeth to get home. And what I think is funny is that we're now ready for an explosion because Liz said Jessica has a big temper. What's she going to do? Now Jessica seems so angry. What's she going to do? And it turns out she... Gets over pretty quick as we're going to yeah. Okay. She just she tells. Her, she gets her immediately. Yeah. She says she confronts Elizabeth and like is pretty real about it and says like, you went on this date anyways. You're jealous, Liz. That's why you made a play for Nicholas. And she's like, but Nicholas begged me to and I owed him. I was just trying to be fair. I'm not going to go out with him again. And then Jessica's like, well okay, I forgive you. And anyway, he's kind of boring anyway. He's too focused on work, so it's fine. And then Elizabeth is trying to resolve things with Todd. She calls him. He doesn't come to the phone. And again, we have thought monitoring, trying her best not to think of what the next day at school is going to bring. She couldn't keep her mind off Todd and what she'd done to him. Colin says, let's go report on the basketball. She says, I can't be objective. And Colin says, well, if you're a really good journalist, you actually can be objective even with Todd. Okay, then we get basketball scene. Todd is playing really badly because he's so upset about Liz. And then Nicholas goes in and fixes everything. And it feels kind of resonant with the way that Elizabeth went in and fixed the problem with Jessica and Chrome Dome and Randy. It's like no one is having the conversations they should be having. People mm-hmm. are having them by proxy. Mm-hmm. We have Liz kind of meditating on on promises and the nature of promises. And Elizabeth had no intention of telling Todd about the awful mess Jessica had gotten herself and Randy Mason into. Not after she'd promised her twin never to mention it to anyone. So again, we get this. Oh, yeah. Before I get this fetishization of promises, right? We had before her talking about her promise to Nicholas, I can't break a promise. And then even though she didn't actually say I promise, Mm. um, a promise is a promise. She reminded herself, although she had to admit ruefully. Sometimes keeping a promise could cause a lot of trouble. Mm. Under those circumstances, she made herself a promise never to make a promise again. Then she, giggled, <laughs> she giggles at how funny that is. Then Todd and Liz are all good. They're part of the celebration at the Walker's house after the football game. Whatever. Basketball. Okay. So they're yeah. at, <laughs> basketball. Sorry. They're at, they're at a party at the Walker's and. Liz and just get a phone call from mom and dad and they say, meet us at the hospital right away. And then we're in the cliffhanger. Is this really the end for Trisha Martin? Find out in Sweet Valley High, number 15. Promises. Not to be glib, 
I do not care if it's the end for Trisha Martin. Sorry. And I think with that, we leave our book behind. Thanks for listening to Sweet Valley Hive, hosted by Robert Marks and Rebecca Pardo. For more, check out our Instagram at Sweet Valley Hive. Theme song by Yessie and artwork by Elliot Carroll.